You are listening to a podcast produced by the Ellison Center for Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit us at ellisoncenter.washington.edu. Paul Constantine, and I serve as Associate Dean of University Libraries here at the University of Washington. And my portfolio includes many of our international studies collections, including the Baltic Studies Collections, which I am delighted to say is incredibly well supported, and I'm delighted to be able to be here with you to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Baltic independence. Um, it's my honor to introduce at the beginning here the Vice Provost for Digital Initiatives and Dean of University Libraries, Betsy Wilson, who would like to welcome you on our behalf. Sveiki. Tere. And Sveiki again. Hello and good afternoon. It is my distinct privilege to welcome Your Excellencies, Ambassador Tekmanis, Ambassador Lepik, and First Secretary Petrone. I also extend my welcome to our other honored guests, members of the Pacific Northwest Baltic American communities, colleagues, students, and friends of the University of Washington. Thank you for choosing to mark the 10th, 100th anniversary of the independence of the three Baltic countries, Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania, and you chose to celebrate it and mark it here today at the University of Washington Libraries, and we are honored. We're honored by your, uh, your presence today and look forward to hearing your remarks about your country's experience in fostering the growth of innovative yet sustainable economies and societies. I am confident that your visit to the University of Washington and to Seattle will solidify and strengthen the sense that your countries and the Pacific Northwest region of North America have much in common, much to share, and much to offer the world. So again, my sincerest welcome to the University of Washington Libraries, and thank you all for being here. Now I'd like to invite Paul back to the podium for some expanded thanks and comments about the rich history of our relationship with the Baltic community. Paul. One resource of inexhaustible wealth that the Baltic community has already shared with Seattle, with the University of Washington, and the UW libraries is your heritage. And I'd like to expand briefly on this statement of fact, figure out the best way to deal with this massive paper. Um, beginning with the building we're in now and working our way progressively outward. I, if you think of this as either concentric circles or perhaps even better concentric spheres as we're talking about this. 24 years ago, the University of Washington Libraries, which then had scarcely a few hundred items on Baltic subjects in its collection of over five million volumes, embarked on an energetic campaign to expand its Baltic holdings. Until today, we can point to a UW Baltic Studies collection numbering well over 26,000 volumes in print and electronic formats, documenting the complex history, the rich civilization, and the prodigious creative output of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Let me illustrate this rapid growth with two other numbers. 
while in 1994, our library's Baltic holdings accounted for an infinitesimal six ten thousandths of the entire collection. Today, they are three-tenths, one-third of one percent of a collection that has grown to over nine million volumes. That is a solid cultural and intellectual footprint in what is still widely considered by many to be the heart of the university, its library. But books, journals, and databases alone, no matter how discerningly collected, are not the decisive measure of a library's worth. The decisive measure is the trust that our users, University of Washington faculty, students, outside researchers, and community members put in the collection, the uses they put it to, and the new discoveries and further dissemination of information and knowledge that those collections make possible. In here, we expand outward into the seconds of our, of our concentric spheres, the University of Washington as a whole. Next year, UW will celebrate the 25th anniversary of its Baltic Studies program, a multidisciplinary program that involves faculty and students from across the UW campus and contributes to the education of our students at the bachelor's, master's, and doctoral levels. The major role that the rich Baltic tradition in choral music has come to play in the curriculum, performance repertory, and research programs of the University of Washington choirs over the past two decades is just one of the University of Washington Baltic Studies program's most visible, or should I say, most audible manifestations. Thanks to the determination and the generosity of the Pacific Northwest and North American, Baltic American communities, in creating endowments, and thanks to support from your governments and the governments of Lithuania, Lat your governments, the, go the governments of Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, Baltic Studies is now a permanent feature of the University of Washington academic landscape, which means our successors, our children, our grandchildren, and a generation of University of Washington students yet to be born will be celebrating the program's 50th anniversary 26 years from now in 2044. And I would like to inv invite all of you to return in 2044 to join me in celebrating that 50th anniversary. This, this brings me to the third and the outermost sphere, the Pacific Northwest Baltic American communities who in collaboration with the University of Washington have played a key role in making Baltic studies at UW a reality. In the history of Seattle, which is a history of successive waves of immigration and resettlement since the mid-19th century, from the United States East Coast and Midwest, from Scandinavia, China, Japan, Korea, Southeast Asia, Russia, South Asia, the Near East, Africa and Latin America, to name only a few of the ethnic communities that now call Seattle home, settlers from the Baltics were neither the first nor the most recent to arrive. Most began to arrive in the 1950s and 60s, some directly from post-war resettlement camps in Germany, others indirectly via stops in Boston or Chicago or Los Angeles or elsewhere. They contributed their rich Baltic heritage to the mosaic of national cultures that Seattle has always been, perhaps most conspicuously for us outsiders in the form of Baltic folk dance and Baltic choral music. 
They have been tireless organizers within their communities, providing each new generation with a Baltic cultural framework within which to grow, in addition to our common American one all around us. What lucky kids to have grown up with two languages, two histories, and two sets of rich cultural traditions instead of just one. Even today, our local Baltic American community continues to replenish itself from both within and from without, as the history of migration from the Baltics to Seattle and often back again has simply moved into a new phase. From the heart of the university, its library, I would like to acknowledge our colleagues and friends in these two outer spheres who have made this enterprise possible. First of all, my deepest gratitude goes to Gunther Schmittens, the director of the UW Baltic Studies program, to the chair of the Department of Scandinavian Studies, and the leadership of the College of Arts and Sciences for your initiative and foresight in making the University of Washington an integral part of the plan for UW Baltic Studies and for making the libraries a part of the University of Washington Baltic Studies Endowment, providing a true model of cooperative planning for every endowment program at the university. We pledge to keep working with you to <clears throat> make the absolute best of our joint endowment, our joint investment to the benefit of University of Washington faculty and students, outside researchers, and community members. Secondly, to our friends in the, Balt the Pacific Northwest Baltic American community, without whom it is fair to say there would be no Baltic Studies program at the University of Washington for our successors and our descendants to celebrate next year and again 25 years after that. I would like to express my heartfelt of thanks and my admiration for your deep, deep devotion to furthering three extraordinarily rich cultural traditions. In doing so, I would also like to acknowledge the community's most recent of many, many contributions to the library's Baltic Studies Endowment. Would Vera Palakis please join me at the podium? Come on up. Or as Bob Barker used to say, come on down. Welcome. Come right on up. Every month, the local Latvian book club meets to discuss a new book from or about some aspect of Latvia. Over the past year, on a regular basis, each member present at the book club's meetings has written out a personal check to the University of Washington Library's Baltic Endowment to add to a kitty organized by the club's president, Dr. Vera Palakis. Vera Palakis. <laughs> I'm Italian, I'm sorry. <laughs> As it happens, the most recent contribution to the library's Baltic Studies Endowment consisted of well over a dozen personal checks totaling over $450 that Dr. Palakis delivered to the library on behalf of the Latvian Book Club. We want to thank you for remembering us, for your regular votes of confidence, your material support, and for everything that you and all three communities have done to support the libraries and the University of Washington Baltic Studies enterprise. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Now, gentlemen and lady, lady and gentlemen, in recognition of 100 years of Baltic independence and as a token of the library's gratitude, we'd like to present each of you with a book.
from for Estonia. A librarian giving a book to another librarian always feels kind of interesting. Trading Identities, the Souvenir in Native North American Art from the Northeast, 1700 to 1900. Thank you very much. Thank indeed. you very much. Thank you. We appreciate it. And Latvia. The West, the railroads made. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And from Lithuania. Oh, and these books are all publications of the University of Washington Press, um, which is one of the top university presses in the country. And I feel comfortable saying that as I'm on the editorial committee. And the press has recently become part of the University of Washington Library, so it's even more fitting. <clears throat> Madam Secretary, Madam, yes, Madam Secretary, Coast Salish artist, Susan Point. Thank you. Thank you. I'd now like to introduce Professor Gunther Smitchens, the director of the Baltic Studies Program, who will introduce our three speakers. Thank you. Today we are celebrating the independence centennial of the Republic of Lithuania, the Republic of Estonia, and the Republic of Latvia. Their three declarations of independence in 1918. This academic year, we've been hosting a series of speakers whom we ask to look back at the past 100 years. Uh, thinking about today's three speakers, however, we note that Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania are not past-oriented countries. Our speakers, while they celebrate their country's centennials, are thinking mainly about the world of today and tomorrow. And so since the title of this event is Looking Back, Looking Forward, it falls on my shoulders to be the one who briefly looks back at the 100-year heritage of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania in the world. Back then, as World War I came to an end, the Baltic region's economy was in ruins. The population dispersed. Hunger and disease epidemics raged in the devastated countryside. And yet, amid the destruction, there was hope. Three national assemblies gathered to declare independence for territories that had not yet been clearly delineated on any map. Their declarations were political programs that identified clear objectives. First three. First of all, the framers of the three declarations aimed to establish the rule of law. They declared themselves to be provisional governments, temporarily administering the country until universal, universal elections uh, uh, would convene representatives to write constitutions. Thus, they imagined what had been unthinkable in the Russian Empire, the end of absolutist monarchy. From now on, political power would not be in the hands of one man, a tsar, and his offspring. Instead, power would be vested in the people of Lithuania, Estonia, and Latvia. And all of the people would have the right to vote. Men, women, property owners, penniless paupers, all ethnic minorities, all religious persuasions would vote. The rule of law, they argued, would also prevail in international relations when their countries would join the League of Nations. Regional cooperation and integration would produce a better world for all, argued the Baltic proponents of Balto-Scandia, an economic alliance that would ensure peace and prosperity for the countries of Northern Europe. Second, 
The founders of independent Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia aimed to redistribute the wealth. The lands formerly owned by the Tsar of Russia now would be owned by the people through their elected governments, producing income that would benefit the country's population and not a distant monarch. Several hundred families of former princes and nobles also lost much, but not all, of their farmland, which was expropriated and divided up among the landless populations. Even in this drastic policy, however, rule of law prevailed. The former landowners brought the Baltic governments to court at the League of Nations and lost. The court ruled in favor of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Baltz thus proved that feudal economies could be terminated and massive wealth inequality reformed without resorting to the violence, murder, and suffering that plagued Bolshevik Russia and communist ruled countries worldwide. Third, even as their wars of independence raged, the governments looked ahead to winning the peace and ensuring the welfare of generations after them. What would they do with the wealth of their new countries? A core objective was education. For the first time in Baltic history, public schools were established for all children, schooling for ethnic minorities in, in their mother tongues. 1919 saw the rebirth, or birth in many cases, of universities, schools of medicine, schools of technology, as well as, of course, national art academies, national music academies, to ensure that cultural life in the new republics would be rich. The foundation on which the three republics were created in 1918, the principle uh, on which the above-mentioned economic and educational policies were based, was democracy. Democracy, that ideal that we are celebrating today, and in a specific case study, in democracy in Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Looking back at the past century, we note that in the post-monarchy world after 1918, from time to time, the old order reared its ugly head in the Baltic. The idea that the government should center on one man who holds for life absolute power, whether it's as dictator or leader of a political party with monopoly on power and property, that idea of one-man rule resurged from time to time in the region, and it desperately clings to life still today in many parts of the world. But not in the Baltic, where since 1990, when independence was reinstated, for a generation and a half, political parties and governments have followed the will and the whims of voters in peaceful transitions of power after every election. And now I've, tra now I've transitioned from talking about the past to talking about the present. It's time to end here, but... But I want to take one more quick look at the past. 86 years ago, somewhere below this room where we're sitting today, UW professor Edmund Meany invited the local consuls of 36 countries to plant trees in an international grove to celebrate the 200th anniversary of our nation's founder, George Washington. Planting an oak on that occasion was Mr. Hans Krohn, the recently appointed honorary consul of Latvia. Nearby, Stephen Eringis, a graduate student from Lithuania who was studying in the UW School of Education, planted an oak for Lithuania. They didn't know back then that 86 years in the future, in the place where they planted those trees, there would stand a library in whose lobby ravens, sacred birds of Latvian, Lithuanian, and Estonian folklore, would bring light to the readers within. They didn't know that above them someday there would be one of the continent's largest collections of books from and about their countries. 
The trees they planted, symbols of a university that brings the world to its students and faculty, were in 2009 replanted in our new Nordic and Baltic oak grove to celebrate 15 years of Baltic studies and another centennial, the 100-year anniversary of Scandinavian studies at the University of Washington. And I see that now I've returned to the topic of centennials. It's time to continue our celebration of the centennial of Estonia's, Latvians, Lithuania's independence and to pass the podium on to our honored guests. I will uh, introduce our teachers of the three languages, each of whom will then introduce the speaker. First, uh, I'd like to introduce the teacher of Estonian at the University of Washington, Veronika Tank. Please, Veronika. Um, Mr. Lauri Lepic has been the ambassador of Estonia to the United States since last year, the summer of 2017. His first post abroad uh, was also to the United States uh, from 1996 to 1999, when he served as the deputy chief of mission in the Estonian embassy, and then continued for another year as a defense counselor. After that, he was the head of Estonia's European Security and Defense Policy Bureau and worked in Estonia's delegation to NATO, uh, serving as a permanent representative of Estonia from 2012 to 2017. Uh, Mr. Lepic has a bachelor's degree uh, in library and information sciences from Tallinn Pedagogical University, now Tallinn University and a master's degree in political science from Humboldt University in Berlin, Germany. Join me in welcoming Mr. Lepic. Thank you very much. And I have to confess that um, it feels uh, like at home uh, in a library for a librarian, uh, which I am, uh, and uh, you can uh, you know, my career as a diplomat, uh, maybe just a, uh, just a, um, a period in my time. Who knows, maybe I return at some point to the library world. Uh, but uh, thanks for having me here, um, and thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to address you. It is important, I think, uh, to celebrate the, the anniversaries and centennials, what we have here in Seattle, University of Seattle, in the library, together with the community. And uh, I was told to give uh, the sort of br brief overview of uh, Estonia's um, a journey to uh, the sort of digital world uh, uh, since 90, early 90s, since when we became, uh, re uh, regained our independence till now. Um, and um, it is a great pleasure to do that. Uh, I'm not going back to the history as, as it was covered, uh, just to say that uh, history hasn't been very uh, easy um, to Estonians. It hasn't been a very easy ride. Um, but um, that said, I think it is true that we are looking uh, uh, in very optimistic terms um, uh, to the future uh, and uh, are, are, uh, are moving our country forward. Uh, one maybe note, uh, historic note as well, uh, just I have to say that 
while we, Estonia celebrates centennial uh, of the Republic, it means the continuous statehood of the Republic. Uh, uh, United States has played a crucial role in, in that politically. And it was in 1940, after the incorporation of um, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania into the Soviet Union, where uh, United, the government of the United States took stance and said that uh, uh, they will never recognize uh, uh, this um, behavior and uh, never recognize the incorporation of the Baltic countries into the Soviet Union. One has to understand that this wasn't really the sort of diplomatic or political nicety. It, it had real consequences, and I think that is really the part of the of us celebrating uh, the centennial. It, in practice, it meant that um, our diplomatic missions here in the United States were operating all the time during the Cold War. And uh, there, was a, there was a continuous uh, work done uh, by my predecessors uh, here in the United States on explaining uh, the political realities of uh, the Cold War uh, the the horrors of the, the Soviet Union, Communist Party, uh, and etc. etc. And one can never underestimate that. Uh, and the second practical point was that when the refugees uh, from the Baltic countries uh, uh, arrived uh, after the war um, to the United States, it was mostly the our diplomatic missions who started to help them, assist them, and, uh, and um, help to settle in. So in one way, uh, this policy of non-recognition uh, of the United States uh, um, uh, is as important as, as the, the centennial, or is part of, the, part of the story of the centennial of um, our republics. Uh, and as a consequence of that, I believe that, you know, bringing the war refugees in the Baltic um, communities here to the Seattle as well, and uh, them being politically active, I think that is one of the reasons why the Baltic studies uh, have flourished here as well and, and in different universities in the United States, like University of Indiana. I think that is that is important. But uh, fast forward, um, when we speak about um, modern Estonia, I think uh, we have a great uh, story to tell. Uh, economically, we are doing uh, quite fine. I think we had a growth of five percent last year, uh, and uh, and the reforms we have been through have. Uh, have um, resulted in a society which is really uh, a modern contemporary and looking forward. The feature, what um, we are maybe known, um, is the sort of the digitalization of uh, the society, how the society works. And I have to say that this is not so much about the technology uh, or the technological solutions of, of that. This is much more about the view how, uh, uh, 
how a nation and how citizens interact with the state. This is the, uh, the view how a uh, uh, state has to build trust uh, among the citizens in order to uh, provide uh, such kind of uh, uh, services. Uh, in our case, I think you can almost do anything electronically uh, with the exception of three uh, things. Uh, you, you can't marry. Uh, you have to appear physically somewhere. And uh, you can't divorce either. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the third one is that you, you can't buy real estate. You, know, you have to be present. Uh, with a, uh, but, but the rest is, is done um, in an electronic form, including voting, I think, which is, uh, might be of interest here in this audience. This all is, of course, based on technological solutions, but mostly it is based on trust. It is based on the understanding that the state belongs to the citizens and isn't acting like a big brother. It all started in early 90s, and you have to, you know, wind back in, in yourself into early 90s we, um, when we regained independence, we inherited uh, nothing useful. Uh, absolutely and literally. Uh, there were no lines of communication whatsoever, uh, and, and, and certainly we had opinion that uh, the experience, the civil servants of the Soviet Union uh, uh, occupational authority had is of no use to the uh, Estonian Republic. So uh, what that meant was that uh, we had to make two decisions. And uh, first one was that we had to reinvent the public service, the public servants. Uh, those who were enthusiasts, uh, you know, in late 20s, early 30s, and uh, wanted to rebuild a republic. Uh, and I happened to be one of them. Uh, it was mostly an act of patriotism and, 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 and uh, uh, sort of good sense of nationalism uh, to, uh, and, and matter of, of um, uh, being proud of uh, to be part of that journey. On a technical side, I think it was a matter of uh, enlightenment. Because in early 90s, uh, the internet wasn't extremely popular ev anywhere, uh, even here in the States in 92, 93. And, and, but still, there was an idea which caught our mm, imagination that what if we make uh, internet accessible to all the population? Uh, through the schools and make, make it free. School the schools, uh, school uh, through libraries, public uh, uh, public libraries mostly, and and uh, open up the world knowledge uh, uh, to the people and unleash their creativity. Um, and I think that those were the two strategic steps which we took. Uh, in the mid-90s. There was a program to cover Estonia with a 
top-notch, uh, uh, you know, fiber optics, uh, uh, and open up as many uh, as many uh, internet um, uh, points as as possible. We started to teach coding in elementary schools as a foreign language, and and uh, the rest, you know, um, is history in a sense that that. Uh, now we have the sort of third generation of uh, uh, computer literate people who take uh, innovation um, and um, technology for granted. And I have to say that, you know, it's very difficult to um, repeat this kind of um, trick because uh, I think it was quite unique as well in history where you have a country which is uh, re-emerging uh, from uh, captivity and the people who are emerging from captivity and and they have the need to create they have to need to create uh, their own state which is much different from which what they have dreamed of uh, and uh, and you yeah I think you know <coughs> that might have been a, a unique moment in in, in in our history at least um, nowadays, I can uh, certainly explain the numbers. There are more than 300 different, or 3,000, sorry, different um, uh, digital services, uh, paying taxes or whatever, uh, online, uh, uh, and 99.7% uh, of tax, tax returns are, are done online. Uh, although we have a much more simpler tax system than in the United States. Uh, but still, I think, uh, and uh, so, um, and I think that the feature, uh, what I like to emphasize as well, is, um, uh, for instance, that in our case we have the digital um, signature, which is uh, equal to the signature written on paper with a pen, and uh, that's not a, just a nice thing to have. Uh, it saves us the whole elimination of the bureaucracy, saves us basically 2% of the GDP uh, per year, uh, which uh, isn't a very small sum, and you can, uh, you can use that in, for other purposes. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think we are, we are doing relatively well, I think we can be proud of. Uh, I think we have, as a consequence of uh, isolationism before the war, have become the most integrated, uh, one of the most integrated countries in, in our part of the world, being a member of EU, NATO, OECD, uh, Schengen, Euro, uh, you name it. Uh, and 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 it, it has been a de deliberate policy. It has been a deliberate policy, um, and driven by the security concerns, what we have, uh, and um, the security situation certainly doesn't need to be explained when you have a, a modern-day Russia as your neighbor. You have to be uh, really vigilant and and ready. But um, I stop here. And uh, and uh, hopefully there will be time for question questions and answers. If not uh, now, then in any other format. Thank you very much.
I'd like to now uh, uh, introduce our teacher of Latvian, Aiga Vatskalne, who will introduce our next speaker. Thank you, Gumpis. Your Excellencies, Madam Secretary, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, it's my honor and pleasure today introduce you the Ambassador of the Republic of Latvia to the United States, His Excellency Mr. Anders Teichmanis, who has been here in the States since September 2016. Before his post in US, he served as an ambassador in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and also as a non-resident ambassador of the Commonwealth of Australia and New Zealand. He has also been an ambassador to the, um, to the Federal Republic of Germany, and also Russian Federation, and also the European Council, the Council of Europe. From 1990 to 1994, he served as a mayor of Riga. Mr. Tegmanis has a degree in law from University of Latvia. He speaks English, French, German, Russian, and Latvian, of course. And his hobbies and interests are theater, opera, cycling, and jogging, including marathons. <laughs> Mr. Tegmanis, Your Excellency, it's my pleasure to introduce you. Please welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed for, for having us here in, in this library. I think it's quite symbolic to, to speak in, in the library. Library in Latvia has a particular meaning, has a particular importance. Uh, in particular, since Latvian National Library a few years ago only was constructed, it has become not only a highlight of Riga architecture, but also, well, we are calling it Castle of Light. And we really consider that all libraries are castles of light. They are bringing light to people. Uh, they are offering light to intellect. And they are supporting all those who are wishing to get more knowledge, get more information. Well, uh, history of three Baltic states is quite similar. And it's not coincidence that we are celebrating all three uh, centennial uh, in this year. Uh, we are following Finland. Finland. Finland was the first who celebrated already in December uh, their 100 years. It hasn't been an easy century. Uh, now, well, we, when we are looking back, we maybe can joke that, uh, well, it was not easy. Uh, we may say we were never occupied, but several times liberated. Uh, now we can look back and, and look who was a friend, who was a true friend to Baltic states, to Latvia, and we can definitely say Americans were. And it's not coincidence that all these years of non-recognition, all the years of occupation, Latvian as well as Estonian and Lithuanian flags on the embassies or legations proudly were waving uh, above U.S. capital. And it's not coincidence that American embassy in Riga, located on a small street, 
holding the name of Samuel Wells, the man who started uh, the non-recognition policy of the United States. And what is the best way to celebrate? It's the best way to celebrate with friends. And therefore, by celebrating our 100 years, we are happy to celebrate in different regions uh, of the United States together with our friends. And I'm particularly happy being first time in Seattle, but to my great and very pleasant surprise, I found so many people who not only devoted their energy and knowledge to Baltic states, to Latvia, coming from different countries, but I first time met so many people who are able to speak all three languages, Latvian, Estonian, and Lithuanian. You really hardly will find uh, many places on the world and, and hardly find so many people who are able to do it. Uh, Latvian National Library was designed by American Latvian, Gunnar Birkets. Another strong link that unites Latvia, United States, and big Latvian diaspora living in the United States. And that's a most efficient network we are having across all the states of uh, whatever, starting from Alaska and ending with, with Florida. And that, that's a network we can really rely on. Um, after independence, only 20, 28 years have, have passed since we regained our independence. It was quite a, quite a jump, jump into darkness because we definitely knew what we don't want. We didn't want to continue with Soviet regime, uh, oppression of liberties, oppression of free speech, oppression of democratic institutions, but maybe we didn't want exactly how to construct all this new. And that's a good reason why learning by doing for many Latvians became quite a daily matter. At the very end, well, although Latvians are very critical, they're always critical, they will remain always critical, I think we have done pretty well in, in developing our country. Uh, and and the, the key word probably was integration. Integration to the world. Well, Latvia, well, we should recognize we, we are not, not, not the biggest nation in the world, not only two millions, but as our very famous poet Janis Rainis said nearly 100 years ago, we are a small nation, we will be as big as our ambition. And I think ambition has determined the development of Latvia in all these last nearly three dec decades since independence. Uh, integration was a key word. We integrated into, back to Europe, back to European Union. We integrated into the uh, security system uh, of NATO. We integrated in um, Schengen area, in Euro area, in, in uh, joined to OECD. Well, integration as a key word was an answer 
to the policy that has led to the occupation. We understood that uh, neutrality probably will not be the best solution for Baltic states like it was a choice before the Second World War. And in, in both in economic, in political unions, or in security unions. And today, uh, being integrated in all these unions, we can uh, say we are stable, we are secure, and probably this house, this university that has integrated in all the programs, in your programs, Baltic states as a part of Scandinavian approach. That's how we do see us, as a part of Nordic and Baltic family, as a part of countries around Baltic Sea, around the sea that is not more uniting, not more dividing, but uniting. This is also our approach, and you perfectly see it here. And, well, generally I can, uh, like, like Lauri said, I think Pep is doing pretty well in economy. We, 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 we have grown by 4.7% last year, and, and still the, the tempo is, we, we hold pretty, pretty good, and, and we have introduced a business-friendly uh, taxation system and, and a friendly environment to, particularly uh, environment to, supported by, by legislation for, for startups, startups, New, new companies who are growing like mushrooms and, and, and going ahead with, with absolutely crazy ideas. Um, well, also, I know at least one example uh, quite strongly related to University of Washington, our startup uh, called, a uh, company called uh, Anatomy Next started its uh, activities and, and has grown as a company who have digged the most deeply into digital human body. And now it's really the leading company for digitalization of the whole human body. And well, as far as I know, just Pentagon has involved uh, recently uh, this company in, in their, their programs as well. So we, we, have, we have brilliant connections between uh, UW and, and Latvian companies. Uh, and, and I hope very much that this is a good start and this will have a good continuation as well. So uh, I, I, I truly believe that new ideas for business, new ideas for solution, not only digital, uh, but any kind of solutions will, will bring these ideas, uh, circulate uh, across Latvia, across uh, United States, uh, well, we may expect uh, absolutely unprecedented ideas and, and, and some Latvian companies have been actively involved in even creation of, of new sports like, like drone boarding or like drone jumping, parachute jumping from, from drones. Well, everything is possible. Uh, Everything is possible, and I, I think this tempo, uh, this tempo has, has been ex examples also for, for European Union as whole. And when we, in, in European Union, approved a special 
Baltic Sea strategy that was designed on the ex having experience of cooperation, of deep cooperation, of comprehensive cooperation between Scandinavia, between Nordic states and Baltic states, then this experience was taken uh, by other regions, other, other groups of countries like Danube uh, region uh, has taken as example and, and they are trying to, to get the best ideas for, for their models of cooperation and, and development. Well, uh, being open economy, being open to the world, having keyword of integration, we don't forget that we are Latvians and, and we do care about our identity, about our culture, about our language, about our traditions. And it, it's, it's not coincidence indeed that, that uh, Latvia is spending about 3% of GDP for culture. We are scoring uh, as number one in, among European countries and that's because we want to remain Latvians. And, and I'm particularly pleased being here how much um, scientific ideas are devoted to uh, Latvia or to Estonia and, and, and Lithuania, to our traditions, our, our, our culture, our language. Uh, certainly, uh, well, we, we knew that, uh, well, in the past we knew that, well, probably it's, it's not so, so easy to find many people outside Latvia who will be able to talk with you Latvian. That, that's the reason why uh, I think over 60% of, of Latvians uh, living in Latvia know at least two foreign languages. Uh, but I'm not more sure. When I visited your university, I'm not more sure that, that uh, well, Latvians should be cautious to, to speak Latvian. They may, may, may find, find other people that, that will be able to respond Latvian as well. Well, uh, developing our country on one hand, uh, using all opportunities uh, to serve as connection, connection between Eastern countries and, and, and the rest of Europe, uh, developing our transportation network, de developing our port infrastructure, developing our air connections. We have never forgotten that uh, we should maintain healthy society and healthy environment. And, and that's why, why Latvians are, are always thinking green and, and very much care about a clean environment, uh, clean products, clean food, healthy food. And probably sometime it's, it's uh, maybe difficult for some developers if, if they may, may have a wish to develop some, some new project. Um, and there's some bird's nests there. They have no hopes more. Uh, but on the other hand, we are developing also different kind of green technologies. 2020 is a particular year for uh, some European uh, programs uh, devoted to uh, improvement of energy, improvement of uh, clean energy concept. And Europe, European Union, had, has set the goal to achieve 
20% of production of renewable energy. Latvia has set the goal 40%. And we are very close to it. We, we never forget uh, that uh, we should uh, leave our environment to our uh, children and, and grandchildren. Uh, half of Latvia is covered by forest. That is our green gold. Uh, we, we do cherish and, and we are happy about it and we use it as a, as a source of energy, as a renewable source, as biomass. And that's how we can achieve this very high goal of, of 40%. Well, certainly, uh, love for nature and, and all kind of digital solutions uh, that Lowry brilliantly described already, uh, well, it, it's also a daily matter for, for Latvia. Uh, we really are enjoying uh, scoring in the top of, of the broadband speed of, of internet and, and certainly uh, probably the first surprise when a Latvian is, is, is moving somewhere in the, another country uh, then, and he's looking how, how, how slowly the internet is functioning. <laughs> Uh, well, that, that's a reality. Well, Latvians love nature. Latvians are so fond of picking mushrooms, but, but they will never forget. They'll never forget just to check in the forest whether there, there is a free Wi-Fi. <laughs> because free Wi-Fi is really accessible nearly everywhere. So that's probably, in, in short, how Latvia looks like. We are keeping on, on dynamic. Uh, we, are, we are caring about our own security. We, we never forget our geography. Uh, we are spending 2% of our defense, but we can feel that Latvia, Baltic states are as secure for people, as secure for business, like the other Scandinavian states, and certainly we will work and continue this policy. Thank you very much. I'd like to invite our <coughs> Lithuanian language teacher, Agla Jurauskaite, to uh, introduce our speaker from Lithuania. Thank you, Guntas. Uh, I'm very happy to introduce Ms. Evelina Petroni, uh, who has served at the Embassy of Lithuania since August 2015 as Congressional Liaison, as Political Officer for Middle East, Asia, Oceania, Jewish Affairs, and Political Officer for Research and Education. Uh, she joined the Lithuanian Diplomatic Service in 2002 with posts to the Lithuanian embassies in Moscow and Tallinn, and continued work at Lithuania's Ministry of Foreign Affairs as Latvian and Estonian Desk and Information Analyst. She moved to the office of Prime Minister in 2011, serving first as political counselor, then head of the European Union and International Affairs Bureau. Evelina Petronia holds an MA in International Relations and Diplomacy and a BA in Political Science and Japan Studies from Vilnius University and is currently a doctoral student in Vilnius University's Institute of International Relations and Political Science. 
She is also a graduate of Mosenson's Elite Academy in Hod HaSharon in Israel. Ms. Patroni is co-author of the book Ukraine After the Orange Revolution, Tendencies of Domestic and po Foreign Politics. Her talk today is titled Lithuania 100, Life Science Hub, where science, business, education and research meet. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, as I said before, it's not easy to talk after the two ambassadors, distinguished ambassadors, who stood at the core of the country's uh, independence and reform. Um, paradoxically enough, it makes my task easier because they covered most of what three countries went through, so I just have to add some details. Um, and I also would like to thank uh, University of Washington and especially Guntis and his team for arranging everything. I know how difficult it is. I do some things like that. So you did a great job and your team did really, really well. Thanks a lot to everyone. Uh, when I uh, learned that I'm going to Seattle, I was excited. I love the city. But I was also frightened because or the reasons I have to talk to academia. And it's not easy. You're very critical. You have your opinions. You know the answers. And you don't trust anyone who will tell you how it is or how it should be. So I won't do that. What struck me throughout this day that was very productive, uh, the three words that I kept hearing. It's hope, trust, and uh, future slash education. It was in the library that we visited. It was in the lab that I visited in the morning when a, a young student showed me what he does with robotics and a hand, an artificial hand. It was when students spoke and uh, um, it was throughout this day. And it's, I, I thought to myself, oh, it's interesting because this is the three words I wanted to use in my speech, talking about Lithuania. I think it's very symbolic because these are the three things that moved us on, hope, trust, and education. And this is what's really important. I have three kids, and when I look at them, I want them to know three things. That they have to have hope, they have to trust in themselves and their family, partners, friends, and they have to educate themselves. This is what we are trying to do in Lithuania, as I will try to show you. And as you saw from the two previous uh, presentations and perfect speeches, our countries went through similar paths, and but we, sort of chose some niche areas because that's the way you can compete in this world. So Estonia is e-Estonia, Latvia does a lot of things with digital and also with um, um, many other things, green Latvia, and Lithuania sort of chose life sciences, biotech, which also uh, has a lot to do with future, education, hope, and trust. So this is what we do. But when I, was, when I thought about what can I tell you about the centennial, if I can't tell you anything at all. So I thought to myself, what, I asked myself, what centennial means to me as a person? And then after some <laughs> contemplations, painful ones, I came up with the idea that it's about people. It's a mosaic of stories, accomplishment, losses, struggles, and just the mosaic of all our history. And when I was thinking about that, I, I just was going, scrolling in my mind the stories from my grandparents who told me about the pre-war times, who told me about the struggles, the occupation, 
the Holocaust, unfortunately, with the freedom fighters in the woods. They would tell me about their hope, looking to America, that America will come and save us or help us. And what America actually did is non-recognition policy that ambassadors mentioned, that's a huge thing. Then I remembered the stories that my parents told me or the songs of the Beatles that my dad would play to me instead of lullabies. So I have an issue with Beatles now. <laughs> because he was just too lazy to sing, so he just put a song and I know, hey Jude, okay, so this is the time to go to sleep. And the stories that um, they told me about the books they read secretly and they would pass one to another and Samizdat, uh, that was called in Russian. And also the stories that if you had long hair as a male, you would have problems with militia, which he had. Then I remembered um, my experiences when I stood um, in the Baltic way with many people holding hands. I didn't know most of them, but I had the feeling of unity and hope and trust. And then the stories uh, about singing festivals that we have, still have, you know, when the air is electrified with song and voice and people, and it's also about trust and hope. And then the stories about January 13th that we had, the tanks in Vilnius. Ah, still hope and still trust. Fear, but still hope and still trust. So, and now that I think of my kids, I, I was wondering, I didn't ask them because I left very early in the morning, but I didn't ask them. I think that if I ask them what um, Lithuania or modern Lithuania means to them, I bet their answer will be education. And, uh, I don't know about hope and trust because, you know, to study a lot, they, sometimes they are not very happy about that, but education is definitely the word. And I'm happy that Lithuania is investing a lot in that, and Lithuania is investing a lot in biotech, and we are, um, we are number one in Europe in investment. It's 1% of GDP, which for a country like Lithuania is a lot, because as Ambassador mentioned, we have to, to reach the 2% uh, GDP to NATO. Estonia already did that, as Latvia does, and we are doing that too. So it's a lot of different competing sometimes goals, but we are doing that, and we are standing pretty well on that area. And for me, biotech is like Star Wars. When they just talk about what they can do with genome and all these modifications and DNA, it's at the same time, it's mesmerizing, but it's also frightening. And then education needs to step in and trust. Uh, I know a lot of challenges lie ahead of us in this area, but it makes me happy that standing here, I can tell you that Lithuania is a biotech country. That's a pretty cool thing, I think. And just not to keep you, you know, with your answers, question answers thing, I once again want to say that um, I'm very happy to be here. I, as Ambassador said, it's, it's, it's so amazing to see students who are studying Lithuania and Latvian and Estonian, not mentioning the people who are studying the three of the languages. My second posting was in Estonia, so I studied Estonian. I can imagine that. I am supposed to understand Latvian, which I do a little bit, but like three of them. So my huge, huge respect to all, all the people. And as we all know, students are great, but there would be nothing without professors, teams, everyone who, who lives the life and who does it with the trust and hope. Thank you. Thank you very much to our three speakers. And we have a nice um, stack of, thank you. And we have, we have three categories of questions. 
one, uh, one to uh, the individual speakers, and then there's one stack of questions that are to all of the speakers. And I think we'll, we'll begin just by bringing the speakers up back in order again, Ambassador Lippick, if you'd like to come up here, and I will read some of the questions. I'll, I'll do it that I will read you, say, two questions, and you can answer them briefly. We will be watching the clock so that when, when we run out, run out of time, we'll go on to the next sure. <laughs> speaker. All right, um, <laughs> so first two questions are, um, Ambassador Lippick, do you see Estonia's recent population increase as a new long-term trend or a temporary change? That's one question. And the second question, very different, is how has your role as ambassador for Estonia changed through the various institutions to which you were an ambassador? Thanks very much. I think to the first question, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, the the, the We've been uh, struggling with the decline of uh, population uh, and it has been a major issue uh, through the occupation and, and afterwards. Um, and it has been a political issue, of course, uh, you know, the, the, the survival of the nation, uh, etc., etc. But, um, but you are absolutely right. Now, recently, we have seen the opposite trend, which is uh, very positive. Um, the, the population is increasing and, and this is what I refer to as a sort of a certain optimism in the future, um, uh, what the people see and, and want to explore. Uh, so I think that is really a sort of a, a phenomenon uh, uh, we are all we are all proud of, and 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 uh, this you know this certain amount of hope and trust as as the keywords are. So people uh, believe in their uh, in their future, in the personal future, in the, in in in, uh, in the future of the nation and and the country. Um, on the second question, which is personal. Uh, well, I mean, there are so many different um, times and different circumstances. Uh, um, one can't really compare uh, each other, um, but, uh, but certainly um, I've been lucky to serve um, at certain, uh, certain um, points of history in Ukraine. I was ambassador there. I arrived uh, in uh, 2011 when uh, the next day Yulia Tymoshenko, who uh, was kind of opposition leader, was imprisoned, and, and that gave a certain flavor to, the, to, to my whole um, uh, posting there and demonstrated the corruptness, uh, corrupt, uh, corruption and, and the failure of the, of the Yanukovych uh, uh, regime. So that was one, certainly one of the moments I, I, I remember vividly when I was a perm rep in NATO. Um, uh, I started in uh, 2012, um, and uh, it was a totally different atmospherics and, and political discussions uh, before and after the annexation of Crimea. We, we started to discover a new world uh, which is cruel and, uh, and, uh, and uh, reminds us uh, the sort of power play and um, uh, the rule of uh, the mighty, uh, and what what kind of um, consequences we as a West or NATO 
should have uh, in countering that in our liberties and freedom, how to safeguard that. That was certainly not a very easy period because, uh, uh, because of the mm, uh, different opinions uh, among the allies, um, how to see the world and how to uh, address it. But finally, we certainly caught the, uh, the decision NATO has made um, on uh, so-called eastern flank and the positioning of the NATO troops uh, to our countries and, and elsewhere as a deterrent. Um, I think were quite um, uh, quite important, and uh, I was happy to uh, participate um, in those discussions and decisions, and and certainly here, you know, uh, as well. I mean, uh, serving in the United States uh, from the September last year, there's never a dull day. <laughs> Thank you. Two more questions. Two more questions. Okay. Yeah. We're going to keep asking uh, questions. Yeah. Uh, on that same topic, two questions. First question is, there has been talk of Finland and Sweden joining NATO. Is this a reality or just idle talk? That's one question. The other one is, in your energy sector, what is the status of nuclear plants? Are they updated, the nuclear plants you have? Okay. Well, uh, excellent questions. Uh, certainly, I'm not going to speak for Finland and Sweden, uh, and it's up to them, you know, to decide. Um, um, either they uh, express the wish to join um, NATO or not, but one has to remember that um, NATO is a treaty-based organization, uh, the Washington Treaty, and there's Article 10, and it's a club um, in a sense that it is up to NATO to decide to uh, admit new members or not. I mean, that's the bottom line. And uh, <clears throat> the, the criteria uh, is very simple. All 29 allies have to believe that uh, the um, new memberships will um, uh, reinforce the overall uh, security of, um, uh, the, of the alliance. Uh, I don't personally have any uh, any uh, any um, uh, question about that, and I think, uh, but but um, we can't really um, NATO uh, as an organization. Um, uh, well, will make up its own mind, and I remember. <clears throat> my first posting here in in Washington in in, in United States it was uh, 96 till 2000 there was a huge big political debate um, in Washington and elsewhere about the NATO enlargement uh, and um, I followed that for uh, closely very closely for two years and all those very hard security issues are always coming up uh, you know does it really uh, enhance the security of the United States as I was here, but in NATO does it really enhance the security of um, the whole alliance. Or nuclear or nukes, um, well, um, I have to disappoint people because we don't have nuclear plants. Um, and, um, and, uh, but energy-wise, uh, just uh, to mention that um, we are self-sufficient uh, energy-wise. We produce energy 
we are a mining nation, uh, we uh, mine oil shale and produce energy from that and export it. Uh, one certainly can say and ask, uh, are we dependent on Russian gas? And uh, the short answer is yes, we are 100% dependent on Russian gas. But one has to <coughs> uh, recall that the proportion or the sort of energy pie uh, is, uh, is uh, such that uh, we use 10% uh, of our energy consumption uh, is, uh, is from, from the gas. So uh, it's a tricky thing. Yes, in one, from one side you can say that we are dependent on Russian gas, but uh, in reality it's just um, a bit more than 10%. Uh, so yeah, but there was a discussion uh, a couple of years ago about uh, building a nuclear uh, power plant, but then um, uh, I think environmentalists kicked in and uh, that was the end of the story. <laughs> we certainly have time, so we'll keep you up. All right. Um, two, again, uh, very different questions, but, but I hope you can answer both of them. I think we're going to get through all the questions at this, at this wonderful well, table. We, we should leave something for First question. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll drill, drill <laughs> the next person. We have until 4.30, is that right? Yes. Yes, 4.30, so we have plenty of time. Two questions. What advice would you offer the USA to protect itself from cyber attack by Russia? Second question. <laughs> any plans for a Baltic bike trail starting from Estonia? Hmm. I think the, 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 the cyber thing is important. And uh, um, I think it, it all boils down not to technology, as I said in the very beginning as well, but towards the attitude and, and uh, what is called, um, I think that's an awful word, but uh, word, uh, cyber hygiene. Uh, here in the academia, maybe you can come up with a better term. Uh, but um, I think, you know, like a human uh, firewall or something, uh, it's 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 all about the attitudes. I mean, it's 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 quite amazing, actually, if I follow uh, how my um, uh, U.S. colleagues uh, use the computers and how reckless they are uh, in in providing personal data and uh, and passwords and uh, things like that. So I think it 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 is important uh, uh, to be. Uh, you know, educated and and vigilant about it. Uh, if I read the uh, the last uh, report on um, what uh, Special Counsel uh, Mueller uh, provided, uh, uh, you know, it, it is absolutely clear that uh, that um, the Russian actions were deliberate and and focused on um, on. Um, Undermining the democratic, uh, you know, uh, system here, uh, causing confusion, etc., etc., um, among the American uh, uh, population and people, and the clear examples of that. So, uh, knowing that, um, I think it is uh, more the uh, sort of human factor which has to be uh, sort of emphasized: the resilience um, and and education 
which has to start uh, from uh, from the very beginning of the sort of end users of the people. Um, uh, uh, it is, of course, part of technology as well, but but uh, I think the key still is how we approach um, different um, uh, online forms, uh, social media, etc., etc. Uh, so there's a lot of work to be done, um, and and no one is perfect. And of course, you know the, this kind of cyber attacks are occurring 24/7. Um, not only here, but in Estonia and elsewhere as well. Uh, and, and you have to be prepared and you have to fight back actually uh, the same uh, almost immediately. Uh, um, uh, so uh, it is a never-ending story. But I think the emphasis should really be on us, on how we um, um, use uh, um, uh, the, the vast um, opportunities uh, which uh, technology provides and certainly on social media as well I think uh, we have to be more critical and, and source critical on, uh, on uh, what we believe and what we don't. It's a totally new uh, media atmospherics world and we have to orient ourselves uh, uh, in a more critical way. On the bike trail uh, I don't know really. Uh, I have no idea. Certainly. <laughs> um, <laughs> four more minutes, so I, 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 I will be leaving out the questions that I think have been answered already. Okay. Uh, one important question is how are you approaching the integration of your Russian speaking population? Well, I think that has been a real success story. Uh, and uh, it has been. Um, it has been now uh, happening for past 25 or so years. It was very, um, I think, it was very rough and difficult in the very beginning because we had a lot of advisors coming in um, from uh, different um, European organizations and countries telling us uh, that um, we have to give uh, citizenship um, uh, to all the Russian speakers who live in Estonia, and uh, we didn't believe in that, and we never did that. Uh, for a simple reason, not because they are Russian speakers. Uh, we don't discriminate uh, against any nation, but because of the simple principle that uh, we will uh, have and we will treat every individual separately. And it's up to, up to that individual actually to decide either they uh, want to obtain Estonian citizenship or not. Uh, there are certain conditions uh, uh, which uh, in due course we have modified, but, uh, but certainly as, as they are in the States, uh, you, you just don't get the automatic citizenship. But we believe in, uh, in uh, individual approach, individual uh, decision making on behalf of those people. Uh, uh, now, I think uh, uh, it would be wrong to uh, lump uh, the Russian speakers into one category. I think that is not the reality. The reality is that um, uh, it very much depends on the age, education, uh, and uh, social status, etc., etc. Uh, I would argue that uh, 
majority of the young generation uh, is extremely well educated, uh, uh, integrated into the Slovenian society. And, uh, and really, in, in, uh, when you walk streets of Tallinn, or, or, or you, you really don't make a difference. I mean, the, the people are fluent in Estonian, Russian, English, and some, many, some old Scandinavian language. Uh, but, uh, but uh, and they usually know more, uh, you know, languages than, uh, than uh, Estonian counterparts. So I think that said, uh, and there is of course uh, a group uh, uh, which, uh, let's be frank, uh, you know, s says that they support uh, uh, Crimea being part of Russia. But the second question, uh, if, if it's asked, uh, would they support the idea of, uh, you know, northeastern Estonia and Arba being part of Russia? The answer is clearly no. Uh, so, uh, because mostly because of the economic reasons, uh, um, because of the uh, ability to travel across Europe, and many many other things. So, it's not a it's not a very unified group, and I think um, uh, things are progressing pretty well. Um, we have changed the educational system, so it, it has become Estonian uh, language-based. Um, uh, young uh, Russian families actually um, are putting their kids into the Estonian language kindergartens in, in a sense of uh, giving them the future for integration. And um, so I think it's uh, it's not. Uh, I think it's it. I think it's actually doing. Uh, it takes a lot of time. It takes you know twenty five plus more years. Uh, it's not easy, but you have to stay um, the course and and uh, stay to your principles. Uh, I think that's the key of uh, success. Thank you. One very very last quick question. Um, are you familiar with the recent article in the New Yorker magazine about Estonia's advances in becoming a digital country? Is it an accurate portrayal of Estonia? It sounded amazing to me, writes the questioner. Yeah, what? Is that a short, uh, just a short answer? Yes. Ambassador <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin, how have you approached your role as an ambassador throughout the different countries you have worked in or with? Well, I think ambassador in, in any country, the first task of ambassador to, to, is, is to get an a, a orientation and uh, understand the time, the place, and the environment he is working. So uh, and ambassadors are actually used to changing environment. And that's what I got when I, when I came um, only a couple of weeks before, before uh, American elections, when I came, I had a feeling, well, environment probably will change. And it, it did. It, it did change. Uh, on the other hand, I was used to leaving London. I left behind me rather changed environment. So that's approach. Ambassador should act. 
And uh, on the other hand, we, I, I should keep in mind that Latvian and American relationship, it goes to whole Baltic. It's something more than, and something longer than mere one administration's relationship. It's not about Democrat relations to Baltic states. It's not about Republican relations to Baltic states. These relations are based over decades. And one of the first thing, an absolutely clear thing I learned being in DC, that in, on the Hill, in the Congress, is an absolute bipartisan support for Baltic states. No difference between Democrats, between Republicans, it is bipartisan. And all, well, that, that's a field uh, ambassadors should play on. And it's not, 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 not at all bad. It's really a good feeling to find that there are many friends, bipartisan friends, who are deciding politics of America. And uh, that's how I feel my approach, to go on to strengthen all this great heritage we have, uh, nearly 100 years of our relationship, I should make as ambassador the best use of this heritage. And, and it is really, in, in, even in practical matters, for instance, when, when Latvia regained, restored its independence, we renewed and, and old agreements entered back into force. We not only renewed our, well, civil code of 1937, well, with some slight modifications, it's still valid. Well, ancient Romans were clever people. The very base is still the same. Well. Uh, our agreements with Americans, with, with the United States uh, of 20s, of 30s, are still valid today. So bilateral agreements of nearly 100 years history as well. So that's an environment a Latvian ambassador to United States should work. And that's a great privilege to work in such an environment. Thank you. I have two questions now. Is NATO, so I'll give you both of them and you can answer them in the order you want. Is NATO doing enough for Baltic security? Um, is the European Union doing enough for Baltic security? That's actually two questions. Let's just leave it to, is NATO doing enough for Baltic security? And go to the second question, which is, why is it that Latvian hockey players and bobsleigh racers do so well in the Olympics? <laughs> um. Well, they, they could do better. <laughs> well, our hockey players were not part of, of um, these uh, Olympic Games. Germans kicked, off, uh, kicked us out. But we will be back <laughs> next time. Um, well, NATO and European Union, it, it's really, well, even it, one, one may say it's two sides of, of the coin. The belonging to European structures, being part of European Union, being part of NATO, it sets the borderline. It sets the eastern border of European Union. It sets the eastern border of NATO. And it's Article 5 who determines that 
there's only one NATO territory. It's just irrespectively, is it in Baltic states or in Portugal or in Canada or America? It is one NATO territory and all NATO nations are allies to defend it if necessary. And for any hotheads who may just test the challenge, the advice would be, well, better now. Don't test NATO borders. You will lose. And that's, that's complementary. Uh, of course, the, the cornerstone of European security is NATO, the most successful alliance over history. But European Union can also contribute very much to European security. For instance, now, now 25 uh, European countries ha have agreed on, on permanent cooperation on defense matters, so-called PESCO. Uh, for instance, if, if these countries will agree on some kind of military Schengen that's not yet functionable, but it could be that also military units or equipment may have free movement across borders of European Union countries, it will be great, great contribution to European security. Of course, the, the total issues of total defense, it's a matter of NATO, and NATO is aware about it. And I, I would say NATO is doing uh, very well with enhanced forward presence, contribution to Baltic states, and, and Estonians are, are hosting the leading nation, Great Britain. We are hosting leading nation, Canada. Lithuanians are hosting leading nation, Germany. Uh, Poles are hosting leading nation, United States. And all this is contributing to stable European security. Um, well, we, we can always have a discussion whether it's enough. Well, somebody may, may, may maybe say, well, we need to have at least seven divisions in, in each country. Others will remember the question about Western, West Berlin. How many American soldiers are needed to protect West Berlin? The answer was one. Well, we, we are, I, I'm not arguing that one is enough. We, 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 we argue that sufficient and credible. And any, anybody who wants to test NATO border should know that there will be a response, crashing response, and better now. Uh, well, about, about, about um, Olympics, you know, it, it, it's quite an enigma probably. Enigma, the, the greatest enigma for, for Chinese. I, I, I talked quite, quite a lot with, with Chinese friends. They can't understand why a nation of, of the size of small Chinese village can have so many medals. <laughs> we we could, could do better, of course. Well, we got only one, one bronze and, and all our hopes on bobsleigh and, and luge and, and skeleton somehow didn't uh, come true this time. Well, we will get them. But on the other hand, well, in last Olympics in Sochi, we were quite disappointed about the results because, well, Latvians got medals and, and probably if 
is there wouldn't wouldn't be this as it appeared a scandal on, on doping then probably we would get some more gold medals as well but well, that's sport okay, back to serious questions so that was a serious question it is but two very difficult ones and we're, we're coming close to running out of time first of all is there a crisis of leadership in Latvia I'm, I'm assuming political leadership in Latvia today and the other one is how are you approaching the integration of your Russian-speaking population I don't think the, 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 the crisis of leadership in Latvia uh, it, it is just a, a regular pre-election campaign we, we will have our parliamentary elections in, in October so campaign has started and, and there are different kinds of different opinions. Uh, well, the difference probably with Latvian political system is, uh, if we compare to uh, Anglo-Saxon or American, when the, the winner takes all, we, we have always had coalitions as government. So we, we have proportional system of elections, not majoritarian, and, and uh, well, there is basically Normally, there is no one winner. There's always winning coalition. And then, of course, there's some kind of horse trade between the parties, and, and then the coalition comes, comes and, and be, being approved by parliament. Uh, so uh, we, we may expect also uh, some changes, or bigger or, or minor changes, uh, of the setting of parliament. Uh, I don't think that very substantial changes. In, in this sense, uh, Latvian political system is, is rather stable, and uh, the approach, uh, the strategic approach, the strategic direction uh, based on European democracy values does never, never, ever change. So uh, let's, let's wait for October, and, and we will see. Uh, well, with regard to, to Russian, uh, ethnicity, I think we, we have quite a similar experience like, like Estonians have because we have uh, quite a sim similar situation with Estonia and um, it is some kind of good combination of uh, targeted state decisions and individual choice. Uh, well, the first of course was a big issue of citizenship and I remember pretty well discussions in the early 90s about uh, zero option and granting everybody citizenship or uh, some conditioning of, of citizenship. Well, I think that at the very end, the uh, model we have approved and, and adopted seems to be uh, a model that works. Uh, it is up to each person to make a choice. If, if, if there is a, quite a number of uh, former Soviet citizens who still have not determined where they want to belong, uh, whether they want to become Latvian citizens, they can at any time, no restriction, or they may wish to become Russian citizens. They don't want to have it. Uh, then it's up to them because basically uh, economic and social social uh, rights are the same. The basic difference in, in the status of non-citizen is that they can't vote and they can't be uh, deputies. 
Well, the, and, and well, they can't be state officials like uh, attorneys and prosecutors or, or policemen. Well, but on the other hand, the decision that was adopted 25 years ago, when we are looking now, if we should think about some parts of society who, it's not more problem, well, the language problem is not, not more an issue for younger generation, not at all. That's also a consequence of educational reforms. But maybe older generation who still is not able to talk Latvian, to understand Latvian. And today, I think many have discovered how much people can be influenced by Russian information space, by, by warfare, by, by hybrid means, by hybrid warfare, and how influential these, these means can be. And if there is a person who can't get information in Latvian, and the only information <coughs> source is Russian TV, can you imagine in what kind of world this person is living? Probably they, don't, they know more about what's going on in, in Russia than what's going on in Latvia. And it's not good. How you can fulfill your citizens' obligations, political obligations and responsibilities, if you don't know about the country you are living. You are, you are living in some kind of distorted information space. Well, that's a concept. And, and uh, otherwise, well, we are gradually implementing reforms. We, some 13 years ago, we started reforms of schools that was, at that time, we inherited segregated school system of Russian schools and Latvian schools, and, and then we introduced into minority school parts, part subjects partly taught in Latvian, partly in minority languages, and it works, it, it works very well. The, the level of uh, knowledge has not dropped, it has increased, and, and the knowledge of, of Latvian has it, it, it increased dramatically. So, we, we, it's not more a problem for, 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 for young generations, but they all are perfectly integrated and, and know Latvian and have no problems. So. Thank you. One very, la very quick last question. Uh, we're running a little bit long, but it, but it was an important question. What books in Latvian or otherwise have you recently read? <laughs> well, you know, so, sometime. It's a quick question. Well, I, I'll I'll be honest. Well, if 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 you basically you you should have a time to to read um, just professional literature. It's not so much time to read, you know, and, and then, you, then you just want to switch off. Currently, on my, my, my um, uh, um, my table when I'm going to sleep is a very nice book, Three Men in a Boat. <laughs> and I'm enjoying by reading it, you can really switch off. <laughs> They're both um, rather long ones, but, but uh, we're interested in your answers. First it is about biotech. Could you please elaborate a little bit more on biotech? 
how Lithuania has cultivated biotech industries. The second question is very different. How do you improve relations between the United States and Lithuania, uh, military and otherwise? Okay, thank you. So I'll start with biotech. Well, sure. Biotech is actually a broad area, but what Lithuania does, we have a very good uh, educational basis. Vilnius University has um, uh, um, studies for biotechnology, uh, chemistry, medicine, and that's, uh, they unite that. We also hold annual conference, Life Sciences Baltics, that we always invite very like, key speakers from the world. And um, we gather together the um, front runners of that area. Also, we have a very prominent, I think a very prominent scholar, Professor Shikshnis, who was one of the founders of genome uh, modifications, and he was one of the possible nominees for the Nobel, possible Nobel Prize. But there are many other scholars, as you know, and it depends on many other factors, like publications, who does it first, and all this. So Lithuania is really investing a lot in that. Another thing is um, cooperation with other universities. So this is one area. Another question about improving relations. I should, I don't know what this question means exactly because I think the relations are really, really good by improving, uh, maybe the person could clarify what was mm. meant by that. If there is a person, or is it, should it be anonymous? Or like? mm. yeah. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> you mentioned military security and defense. So what we do, we, as ambassadors mentioned already, what we do, our goal is to maintain very good relations, not only by asking United States like boots on the ground, but by committing ourselves, which we do. Ambassadors mentioned that. So it's 2% from GDP to NATO, it's operations, uh, it's, it's participation in operation Afghanistan, Iraq, elsewhere. Our soldiers are there, present. They have a very good record of being there. We're proud of them. Uh, we this question improving. So what we do on a daily basis, we are networking with people, with Americans. We are trying to bring our culture to them and make them interested. This is what you do. And thank you a lot for that. So this is one of the things we do. Um, I, probably there is always room for improvement, but um, I think it's pretty, pretty good relations and our history proves that. Uh, more questions, more questions. Oh, I thought there's only two. I can ask them one by one. Okay. Um, what should the European Union and NATO, and I guess Lithuania too, do in the Ukrainian crisis? It's a very good question, but it's very complicated. I don't, I'm not sure I can answer it in one sentence. And I think European Union did a lot, still does a lot. On our part, Lithuanians do a lot with their partners. We have our um, advisors in the Ukrainian government, Ukrainian president. We have, uh, we have our foreign, for, former ministers there as an experts. We have a team there where we recently did our parliamentarians, former ex-prime minister, Mr. Kubilus, and his team came up with a Marshall Plan for Ukraine, sort of Marshall Plan. It's just a name like that. So what he actually did, we hosted him in in Washington DC, we went through many, many uh, meetings in World Bank and the Congress, and we were trying to make people see that if we lose Ukraine, that's that's end game for the entire region. And uh, we hope um, decision makers here will understand that from the meetings that I participated in, they do understand that. And the question that they asked us when we were in these meetings, they would ask us, what do you think is more important, boots on the, uh, like boots on the ground and guns or economic support? So both, 
because as Ambassador mentioned, uh, he served in Ukraine, uh, corruption, legal system, you cannot fight one without another. So it's two ways to think, and it's very complicated. Two questions that are related. One is a little bit longer. I understand Latvia has changed its language policy for bilingual schools to, to increase the amount of instruction in Latvian. Are there any plans to make similar policy changes in Lithuanian education system? Uh, and could you describe the, 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 the language use of language in Lithuanian public schools? Uh, all uh, public schools in Lithuania, the main language is Lithuanian. We have schools Polish for Polish minority, which is a pro I think is a unique case, if not in Europe, if not in the world, maybe in Europe. They study in Polish, and then they study Lithuanians plus Lithuanian language. We used to have uh, Russian-speaking schools, and it's not that we are closing them, just the uh, need for that is shrinking. People are integrating, they are studying Lithuanian, and some schools are being closed. We have a Jewish school in Vilnius, very good school. Many Lithuanians want to attend that school because it's a very, very good school. It's a Lithuanian-taught school, but they also taught Hebrew history, culture, and things like that. So I'm not, there is no bi like bilingual uh, thing officially, but it's official Lithuanian language, but they have right to study many languages. So Lithuanian uh, students can choose like a second language. Now they have option probably like four languages, French, German, Spanish, and they study that. So, but official is Lithuanian. And we have a very strict commission on language, which is good probably. Linguists might say they should be more flexible maybe, but it's good to preserve the language. Related to that is the question about how is Lithuania approaching the integration of the, of the Russian-speaking population? As, as you might know, Lithuania has a different situation. Lithuania had like five or six percent of Russian-speaking minority. We have uh, around seven percent of Polish-speaking minority. And we didn't have this, the issue like that with the citizenship. We granted citizenship to everyone. And to, it's interesting that a Russian-speaking minority is the most or best integrated minority. They are pro-Lithuanian. They speak Lithuanian, majority, young, young, younger generations. Of course, as ambassadors mentioned, we have issues with um, a little bit older generation who do not speak well Lithuanian, who do not speak English. So what they, they are um, the targets of Russian propaganda because they watch Russian TV. They, can understand that, so this is an issue to us. But other than that, they can vote, and as I said, they're very well integrated. They're probably the best integrated minority in Lithuania, Russian minority. The chain of questions goes on, similar questions, but I'll ask you two different questions. One is, uh, how do we combat Russian information war without resorting to the level of counter-propaganda, uh, for example, in the Baltics? And there's another one, uh, a question, very different one, is, is, there, is there anything about Lithuania that you think people here, I guess in the United States, uh, people in the United States believe about Lithuania but don't really understand? Is there something we don't know or don't understand? So I will start with the first one. That's a very good question uh, about uh, propaganda. And I learned that there is no way you can fight the bad narrative with another bad narrative. You only can fight with the good narrative. That means you have to give them a lot of facts, real facts, information, news. In our case, uh, we, are, we are 
trying to do that, but it's about resources and money. And as you know, Russia has enormous resources. And if you would imagine how much they spend even on YouTube, on all these, you know, not official videos saying some, you know, information, it's enormous amount of money. So the, the reason uh, it's very important, and we try to do that here in America, we talk with uh, BBG um, with the, the money that they can they can help us fight that because it's not about Lithuania it's about the region and what we also did we just recently had a transmitter the transmitter that can transmit to Be Belarus this is also very important because it's in 21st century it's not about borders there are no borders actually in in the information spreading so it's about Ukraine Belarus Baltic countries. So, and it's about real big money. So what we do, we raise our expertise, we have good journalists, we also educate journalists that we invite from, we have trips from America, from Europe, and this is what, I think it was discussed maybe during the lunch, the issue about elections here in America and the meddling of Russia. So our journalists are, already know how it goes and where it leads to. And then the question about the Lithuanian, uh, is there something about Lithuania that you think people here don't really understand? Well, I'm not the right person probably to answer that because uh, Americans should tell me what they don't understand. If they're me, I don't understand some things, but I'm, I cannot comment on that. So <laughs> I don't know. Pro probably something with food would be strange to Americans. It's like pink soup and things like that. Um, some cultural maybe things. And uh, I don't know, Lithuanian seems stubborn and like introverted, but the, the moment they trust you, oh, they're very friendly and nice. So maybe this is the thing, I don't know. But it's, I'm not the right person to ask that. <laughs> maybe Estonian, Latvian colleagues can say that. I, I don't know. And the last question, and again, yeah. the easy question. What books have you recently read, in uh, Lithuanian or otherwise? I read a lot because it's my mission with my kids. Uh, I, I believe that you lead by example, so I read any time I have. I was against the audible when you listen, but since I have no time and I have to drive to my office, I do that too. And it worked on my daughter. So we have a tradition. We, when I take her to school, we listen to books. She's like, mom, stop, when she exits the car. Mom, stop. So now we're listening to Kurt Vonnegut, Good Cat's Cradle. Um, she, I just recently bought her um, Romangiri, The Promise at Dawn. And she pointed me when we went to, we have um, uh, weekly trips to the bookstore. I take, I have three daughters, so I take them and I just let them go and see the books and they have to come back to me with two books at least. So they come with books and, and my eldest pointed Don Quixote, Don Quixote. I said like, no, there were other books. He's like, no mom, I want it. No. I was like, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure it's a book like this. So I recently read, I read a book on Trump the one that, and I also was reading, I, for some reason, um, I actually love uh, Russian literature, classical literature, and uh, for some reason I just wanted to read uh, Bulgakov's Master and Margarita, and I just read it. I don't know, I love this book. I, probably the fifth time I read it, but I'm not sure I have to give it to my daughter yet. She's 12, so. <laughs> but she never listens. She finds the books and takes from me, so, so this is the last one I read, but a lot of professional literature, and no time. So you do that at night, usually. Thank you very much. Thank you all for fascinating presentations. I, I try to read foreign 
affairs fairly frequently, and I feel like I've learned more this afternoon than I've learned in several of the past issues of Foreign Affairs, so thank you very much. Uh, thank all of you for joining us, and for those of you who are here as visitors to the university who don't spend a lot of time on campus, I want to reiterate that this is your university, this is your library, you are more than welcome here. We would love to see you, we would love to serve you. Please let us know how we can help you. Thanks to all the organizers, Guntis and, and the faculty, and I'd also like to thank my colleague Michael Biggins, our Baltic Studies librarian, for really working hard to put this whole thing together. Michael, thank you very much. If any of you brought your checkbooks or your credit cards and you'd like to make a donation to the Baltic Studies um, endowment, see Michael, and he would be glad to relieve you of your money. And I believe we have one more order of business. I think we do, and uh, I think we all do. Uh, Michael, uh, could you join me for this? There's a, there's a new book which came out, um, which is called Brashto uh, Stroke Estonia. And um, it's, uh, it's a nice book. It's uh, a bit different. Uh, it is um, 150 paintings across the map of Estonia. Which is, uh, which is a combination of history, art, and geography. So I hope that this will uh, uh, enrich your very good collection already. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm, uh, I'm happy to join uh, also another book to your collection uh, and extend my great thanks for this perfect event, wonderful discussion and great place to be. Uh, this is a book about the castle of Rundale, that's some kind of Latvian Versailles. Um, well, just for inspiration to visit it. It won't take much inspiration, I'd love to visit. Thank you. Thank you. So this is the book by American Lithuanian author Ruta Shepetis. She's a bestseller, so uh -huh. I hope the students will be interested in that. This is a very good book. I read it myself. I liked it, and it actually has to do a lot with centennial or Lithuania history. Uh -huh. Another book is Children of Siberia: The Memories of Children That Were Deported. So another one. Um, this one I like a lot. It's Vilnius. It's an in, in some of this Yiddish, yes, mm -hmm. and it's by the author Christina Sabolowskaita. She's a very good author. She has a very good books. I didn't, I couldn't bring the other books, but maybe next time. So this is a good one, and this is like mosaic of Vilnius and Lithuania, mm -hmm. Jewish Siberia. This is the history of Lithuania. Some facts and <laughs> and the last one, I love it. This is Jonas Mekas, our artist, you know, Fluxus, and this is the album. Frankly, I was amazed that we can do that good. <laughs> so it's a really good book. I just looked through that, and this is the stories of Lithuanians living abroad, young people and their their you know beliefs and what they wish for Lithuania. That is so great. That's a good book. I hope some of you will be on the next album. Thank you very, thank very you, much. Thank you for